today we're going to continue on with a, a series I started last week called This Is Us. So this is us, freedom life, who we are, what we're all about. And uh, we started off with a scripture, uh, Matthew 16. There we go. So this is talking about Jesus and he comes to the disciples and he says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do, we, who do they say I am? And they replied that you're John the Baptist, others say that you're Elijah, still others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And the same kind of situation that we have today, there's the world out there have many views of what Jesus is. They have different ideas that maybe he's a good man, he's some prophet, he's some, I don't know, whatever. They've all got different kinds of ideas of who Jesus is. But he goes on and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then Simon answered, he says, you are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus replies to him, blessed are you, happy are you, like, blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but this was revelation that came from heaven. He didn't learn this from reading books or talking to other people. This came directly from God. And then he says, and I tell you that you are Peter. Remember, we looked at this, that Peter, the word, Hebrew, Greek word, sorry, that was used is Petros. Right? Petros, which means rock, or more accurately, a small rock, or a pebble, or a stone. And then he goes on and he says, and on this rock, which I believe he did, saying, you are Peter, you are rock, and on this rock, and this rock he uses a different Greek word, he uses the Greek word Petra, which means a huge, big rock. So we see there's a distinction between the two words. This is a massive collective group of rocks, a foundational big rock that you can build on. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And then we looked at this, where we see this progressive kind of picture that Jesus is painting, where we get the revelation of who Jesus is, this, his true identity, and that leads us to knowing uh, who he the discovery of who we are. So he tells us who we are, that we are not Simon, son of Jonah, Simon meaning like a, a reed that sways in the wind, but you are a rock, something that is not easily moved. He gives him a new identity. So you are not a slave. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. You are a son of God. He gives us a new identity. Right? You are no longer uh, controlled by sin, controlled by death, but you've been brought out of that as a son of God in Christ. It's a new identity in him. And knowing that positions us to be able to share in what God is building on the earth, which is the church. There's only one thing that God is building on the earth, and that is his church. He's not building anything else. His only purpose is to build his church. And so that church that is founded on Jesus, founded on his identity, knowing who we are, that kind of church, he declares, will never be overcome by hell. It will never be defeated. It is a church that is not on the back foot and in defense, but it is a church on the front foot in attack, attacking the enemy, pushing the enemy out of its camp. Right? Our role and our responsibility as believers is to stomp on hell for a living. 
That's who we are. That's our role. That's our responsibility. So every local church has this same foundation. Every single local church is built on the revelation that is Jesus Christ, right? Every Christian church, I should probably clarify, is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and on his identity. And so every local church has the same primary mandate, right? Every church is called and established here to uh, release the kingdom of God, to preach the gospel. Every local church is the same, right? But, as I said last week, the, the illustration of you've got, say you've got two different uh, blocks of land and two different slabs of concrete on it, and they look identical. And so by looking at that, you can't tell, or you can assume that the buildings on top of those two foundations would be, also be identical. But it's not true. Because you could come back six months later and see two different houses. You could see one that's a three-by-two bedroom and bathroom house, and the other one could be a five-bedroom because it's two stories. But you can't tell that by just looking at the blocks of land. All right? You can have that. And so for each church, each local church, even though we have this uh, identical mission, identical uh, foundation that is Jesus Christ, the actual structure and the framework and the DNA and the flavor of the church can look different. Right? This church, Freedom Life, looks different to the gate church down the road. They have a different emphasis. They have a different flavor, a different kind of DNA. And it's important that they do. It's very important that they do. Because I said last week that God is a massive, big God. Right? He is huge. His personality is massive. His personality is actually infinite. It is unending. His nature is unending. And that means he needs a lot of churches to display the fullness and the full width and the character and the depth of who he is. He's designed it that way. So not every local church is meant to be the same. There's a very good reason for it. And that's encouraging. It's very encouraging. It it means that we're not like this cookie-cut sort of thing. We're meant to be expressions of creativity and glory and just everything that he is. We looked at Ephesians 3 where it talks about God's intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom would be displayed to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly realms. The manifold wisdom means the many-faceted, like a diamond cut with all different edges. You put direct single-color light white light into a diamond and it refracts and you get a full color of the rainbow. Right? It's the same for a church. You get the white, pure uh, personality and nature of God shines in, but every single church is like a different diamond with a different cut and it displays the different natures and different personality of who God is. Amen? Cool. So that's kind of where we got to. So us, as this, uh, looking at this series, we're in the, over the coming months, we're just going to look at uh, nine different pillars that kind of make us, Freedom Life, who we are. Oh, these are Ephesians. So we looked at these. And these are like the, f- the framework that kind of sticks out of the foundation and, and defines who we are as Freedom Life. And I know those, those terms are pretty broad and can mean different things, but we're going to look at them and unpack them. So today... We're going to look at the first one, which is a church of grace. Church of grace. 
And we and grace can be simply defined as the unmerited favor of God. All right? the, the blessing of God that is freely given to us, even though you don't deserve it. I know that's a very simple kind of definition of what it is. Because uh, the issue of grace now is it's a bit of a buzzword. It's, uh, lots of people are talking about it. And so there's different definitions of what it means to be a church that believes in grace. To say that it simply means that we are Christians or sinners saved by grace is a huge understatement. It is a massive understatement. And so most churches, I would think, from my limited exposure to them, would believe that every lost person, every sinner, is saved by grace, right? all of them would accept that it's not through their own efforts, it's not through their behaviour, their good or bad behaviour, that merits them salvation. They would believe that it's lost, it's Jesus' payment that, that brought them into this place of salvation. The difference is what happens after you get saved. That's where you begin to see a little bit of a distinction in people's ideas and different churches' views on what it means to be a church of grace. You see, we are saved by grace... But are we kept by grace? Right? And God is a God who is consistent. Meaning, if you didn't earn your salvation by your good works, to be consistent means you don't keep your salvation by your good works. It means that you, you, didn't, uh, you, don't, you don't get disqualified from being saved by your bad works which means you don't lose your salvation by your bad works. All right? That's a massive distinction as that you don't see in a lot of churches because we talk about this word sanctification and we don't believe sanctification is also by grace. Sanctification is this, this process that now it's like your human effort, your... Uh, the power that's within you to be able to be a better Christian. And you have to try and earn it and try and do it yourself when actually God's never, he never wanted that. He's never designed it to work that way. That is not the gospel. That is a false gospel. And so, yeah. Let me find where I'm at. So what it really comes down to is this thing of when we, we can say that we intellectually agree with the theology, or let's say the doctrine of grace, like we can speak the right words, we can speak the lingo, or some people you could say oh, speak Christianese, where you know what to say and when to say it when we're talking about grace. But is it something that has really possessed your life, something that has possessed your heart to the point where it comes down to this thing of, I ha have I learnt grace, like this thing of learning it through flesh and blood, or is it a divine revelation that has come from heaven where it's actually a thing of I've met grace? Because you don't learn grace, you meet him. So here, look at this scripture. One, John 1, 17, it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came... By Jesus Christ. 
See, the law was given, it was an impersonal set of rules, a standard of requirements of, of morality, and it was something that we had to live up to to be a good kind of person. And, and in their thinking, attain righteousness through obeying the law. The law is not bad. Do you know that? The law, the Ten Commandments, are good. They are holy. They are God's righteous, holy standard. They are very good. They're not bad. Right? But the thing is, you could never meet that standard. You've never, you were never designed to meet that standard. The law was never given for the purpose of making you holy or making you righteous. So the law was actually designed to kill you. It was designed to bring you to your end. When you look in 2 Corinthians 3, off the top of my head, uh, it, it says, it calls the law the ministry of death, which is really interesting because the law is good. It is holy, yet God also says it's the ministry of death. It was good to bring you to your death. You're thinking about this thing. It was designed to show how bad you are, that you are a sinner that needs saving by grace. So the law was given, but then it says, grace and truth came by Jesus. So notice that the grace wasn't given. It says grace came. So grace isn't another new set of laws, a new set of theology or doctrine that we need to try and live up to. It was a personal thing. Even to say that grace cannot be received other than through relationship. It's impossible to receive grace unless it's through relationship. In, uh, oh, sorry, I don't remember off the top of my head. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Not through a set of rules, not through a doctrine, not trying to live up to it. Through relationship with him. And that's what grace is. So for us as Freedom Life, we boldly say that we are a church of grace. And that grace is a load-bearing pillar that, that's like one of the central pillars in this house. And it's good. It's awesome. It should be. But to be a grace church for us, corporately, I just want to give you three handles which help to kind of put a, like a reality to it. So I've got three points that I just want to put up. So grace of God, it influences us it influences our, firstly, our meditation. Which means the way we think, means our belief systems, how we process our mind, our emotions. It touches our soul. It shapes our worldview. Talking about the guys yesterday at, the, at this conference, a lot of them, you would say probably 50% of the people in the room are like ex-gangsters. People, drug dealers, people bashing people up, like violent uh, kind of men. And the grace of God just flooded their lives and transformed their soul. It transformed who they are. It gave them a new identity. And so that's what grace does. It comes and just changes the way that we think, changes our worldview, the way that we see everything, see uh, our family, the way that we see 
our jobs, our careers, other people. It, it influences our thought life, um, what we believe about ourselves as well, that we're not this horrible person anymore, but we've actually been brought into a new creation life where we are no longer sinners, but we are saints, we are holy, and God sees us as if we've never, ever sinned ever in our whole life. It changes your mind, so it changes your meditation. Secondly, it influences our movement, meaning our actions, what we do, the decisions we make, because when your, your mind is changed to think and see differently, you're going to make different decisions. You're going to move differently. You're going to act differently. And so the way that we treat ourselves, the way that we treat our families, our friends, our enemies, it's influenced by this. For example, say someone comes up to you, does some terrible thing to you. I don't know, it could be horrible. Um, just backstabs you for some sort of thing at work or whatever it is. And you treat them differently than what you would without grace. You would forgive them. Right? Because Jesus forgives. Remember him on the cross. They put him there and he just forgives them. So the grace of God has a supernatural ability to put you in a place where it's not gritting your teeth. Oh, I have to forgive you because I'm a Christian. Right? It's not that. It changes your inside, your soul, so that you can see that person as if God sees them, knowing that they are a sinner, but I can forgive them because God loves them, and out of the overflow of your heart, you love them and want to forgive them as well. So it changes our movement. It empowers you to act and move in grace. And thirdly, our message. So what we say to others about what we believe and what is right to do, our presentation of the gospel, it, it's, uh, we are greatly influenced by the grace of God. And here's kind of the thread that, I just want to, that ties it all together. See, if you call yourself a church of grace, and that is the message that we present, um, you see, the world will not care about your message unless it's backed by your movement. And so there's this kind of, uh, I can't remember the saying now. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? And that's very true of the world. So sadly, Christians are known, like stereotypically, as being hypocrites. That we say something, yet our movement, our actions is something totally different. But the grace of God influences it so much that our movement matches our message because it's not influenced by us trying to do it. We've now been transformed on the inside as a new creation and it's expressed through us naturally. Right? That's the way it's meant to kind of work. It's the way that God designed it to work. And so, like I said, it's not trying to do that kind of thing. It's not coming back under that place of law because when grace grips your heart and possesses you, it looks like Jesus. It looks like he treated the world. It looks the same as what he did as he walked around. And so signs and wonders, miracles, right? They're not something that Jesus, I don't think, he tried to do. It wasn't him going around hunting who he can heal, who he can bless. That wasn't necessarily his primary motivation. 
it wasn't his primary purpose in coming to the earth. So have a look at this in Acts 10, verse 38. He's talking about Jesus, and he says, He went around doing good, healing everyone who was oppressed by the devil. He went around, right? Focus on that. He went around. It's not really a specific term. It's pretty generic that just as he lived, just as he walked through different places, the nature and character of God was expressed through him. So he didn't have specific appointments with people to see them healed, to see them set free. It was just as he went about his normal day and as he, I mean, he wanted to go into certain places to kind of uh, do certain things. But as he went, it says that's when he was met with people. People who needed healing of blindness, lame people that he would just see standing, like standing, seeing sitting there. It was as he went around, right? And look at this. A few times, you, quite a few times. That's not even all of them, but there's a bunch where it says that he was led and moved by compassion. The signs and the wonders and the miracles, from what I can tell, flowed out of his character and his nature, flowed out of his heart. So Jesus is the very manifestation of grace. And so in the same way, I believe our movement, our action, is determined and flows out of our meditation, right? It flows out of the revelation of who Jesus is, of his character, of his nature, of his will. All right, yesterday, I met this guy, and his name's Steve Wallace, and I've never met him before. He's known as quite a prophetic guy, but he, I was so encouraged by his authenticity because he was, he's known as being prophetic and quite accurate with his prophetic words. I really don't know how to explain this. I'm going to try my best. But when I see him, there was something about him of God and the love and the grace and the nature of God that went beyond him. So that he would walk and there was like the same as like Peter in his shadow. I mean, people wanted to get in front of his physical shadow, but it was not his physical shadow that was healing people. It was the spirit of God that was emanating out from him that was healing people as he walked. And so this guy, you could feel and see, well, I could see like just, I guess, spiritually, the nature and heart of God would be outside of him and surrounding him wherever he went. And he, I walked in the door and he prophesied over me as soon as I walked in the front door. But I wasn't so much gripped by the word, even though it was accurate and right, spoke right to my heart. It was actually the nature of God that he was carrying that went before him that touched me more than the word itself. Which is awesome. That's the genuine heart of God. It's not about a specific miracle. It's not about a specific uh, thing that you need in your life. It's about knowing the will and the heart behind it that, that transforms you. It's so much better to know the one who does the miracle than the miracle itself. And so that blessed me unbelievably, just to see that. I just want to talk maybe about one thing just quickly, which I thought of. Something that has come a little bit of a, in my mind, a little bit of an idol in church, and that's that um, the, 
this idea that every single person, I hope I say this right, has their own unique uh, calling on their life in an in a individual kind of capacity. And that you get people who are so desperate and they run around so looking for a word from someone or trying to hear what it is the purpose and the calling for them specifically in their life. And the thing is, as a church and as a body, the context is always corporately. It is always the purpose and the mission of the church collectively. And so if you're running around trying to get your own individual ministry calling, you will struggle to hear it, you will struggle to find it, because it's outside of the context of the church. Does that make sense? I hope I'm saying that right. Because we do individually have callings, but if it's outside of the purpose of the church, it is not of God. Because God is only building one thing, and that's his church. So if you're desiring and wanting to know this calling, this great kind of ministry that you may think that you've got, learn it in the, in the purpose and in the context of the corporate gathering. So I said last week that uh, almost every single book in the New Covenant is written in the context of the corporate. It's written to the church. The words you look there are plural words. He doesn't say you are just a son. You are sons. You are children. You are a royal priesthood. You together are the church, right? The words and the context is always this corporate thing together. And so if you want, just again, just that, don't worship yourself is basically what I'm saying. Like God is not here for that. It's about the church. The manifold wisdom gets, ex- gets expressed, not through individuals, it's through us corporately as the church, as the body of Christ. All right. <laughs> so, moving on. If there's a disconnect between the message that we're preaching and our movement, right, if our movement is not backed up, uh, sorry, if our message is not being backed up by the movement, the solution is not trying to be a better person and trying to make our actions line up with what we believe which is what often gets preached. You need to do better. You need to read the Bible more. You need to pray more. You need to align yourself, forgive people, and do all these sorts of things in order to live up to this standard of being a good Christian. It's not the right answer. We need to go back to meditation. I think Dad spoke about Galatians, and there's a lot in Galatians that talks about this. the Galatians are doing exactly that. They're trying to attain the spiritual sort of things, trying to attain uh, a sense of righteousness, a sense of good living by going back under law, by trying to do it themselves, trying to do it under the flesh, under human effort. And Paul gets angry at them. And he says, you've missed the gospel. Right? Who has bewitched you? you? He says, you idiots. You foolish people, why are you going back under that? That's the very thing that kills you. Don't do that. That's not life. That is the ministry of death. And he says that you have fallen from grace. In the world, it teaches that to fall from grace is to fall into sin, which is the very opposite, that your movement is, like, is, is wrong, that you're doing something bad, and that means that you've fallen from grace. And Paul says the total opposite. He says, you're trying to be better, and that is falling from grace.
So we need to go back to meditation, back to what it is that we believe, what our thoughts are. That is grace just a theory or is it someone that I've met? Romans 5, we all know this one. We rule and we reign in life by receiving God's abundant provision of grace and his gift of righteousness. Right? The focus is not on our efforts and trying to be a better person, but we need to learn how we can better receive from his abundant provision of grace and his gift of righteousness. Amen? That's how we rule. That's how we reign in life. Not through our performance, not through our self-righteousness. Remember, there's actually only two kinds of righteousness. His righteousness and our righteousness. There's only two kinds. And his righteousness is a gift. It is pure. It is holy. Our righteousness is disgusting. It is pathetic. How do we think we could earn our salvation and earn anything but our puny little tiny efforts? It is disgusting to think that we could earn it. And that's why Paul was so passionate about this. You, you take God's righteousness and our righteousness, you can't even compare them in the same sentence. He is so holy and so wonderful and so magnificent. We need his righteousness to be able to live in this world. Amen? Amen. So it gives us, his grace gives us the power to be able to think correctly. It empowers us to live correctly and how to share with others correctly. And so we are sanctified, as I said, by grace, by not beholding ourselves, but by beholding him. The more that we see him, the more that we see how awesome he is, it reflects back into us. And then we naturally begin to understand who we really are, which is Christ who is in us. And we naturally walk out righteousness. So I'll just back to there. So what is our message? As a church, as Freedom Life, I just simply just want to go through this. And I think if we, could, you could, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks looking at what our message is, the message of grace. But I felt that a good, nice, packaged kind of meal of it is looking at John 3.16, which is, we all know. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So number one, God so loved the world, right? He, every single person, no matter what age, what color, what gender, what religion, whatever beliefs, no matter how much sin, no matter how evil, corrupted that they are, no matter how good they are, how much of a holy person they are, how much of a, a saint they are in the world, it doesn't matter. God loves them. It doesn't matter the background at all. God loves them unconditionally. Even if they never turn to God, he loves them. And so there's no requirements that we need to meet before God will love us. We don't have to meet any standard. He loves us absolutely, completely unmerited. And then second thing is he gave his one and only son. So salvation, the rescuing of our soul, is 100% a free gift. You can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can't pay for it. It's a gift. Christianity is spelt G-I-F-T. Everything about it. Right? Grace is not just at the start. It's everything. It's middle and the end. It's everything is about grace because grace is Jesus. So he gave his, only son, his one and only son. 
And thirdly, whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. Again, this emphasis on whoever. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, that you receive eternal life. And immediately when we hear eternal life, our thoughts go towards heaven. Eternal life means I get to go to a place of paradise. I get to go to a place where there's no suffering, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more depression, no more anxiety. Our thoughts go to this place that's going to be awesome, it's going to be bliss. But I think that that, again, is an underestimation of what eternal life really is. It's part of it. Heaven is part of it, but it's not all of it. It's actually not really what Jesus was talking about. You see, it's great to know that we're going to go live in heaven in a place that is just, it came actually out of the heart of God, that he created it for us. But it's going to be so, it is so much greater to know the God who created heaven for us. The same kind of parallel example which I gave about that guy Steve, where you just see his nature coming out beyond the ministry. The same thing is with, with God. His nature and his character and his desire was, us, was for us to experience a place of heaven which is awesome. But the thing greater behind that is knowing the heart that created it for us. Which is great. I mean, that's, that is greater. Amen? And that's what he's talking about. Right? He wants to speak with you. He wants to live with you. He wants to have relationship with you. The God of all things wants to have relationship with you. He wants to be in union with you forever. And here we go. This is, he explains it later on in John. John 17, right? He says, now this is eternal life. He tells us exactly what eternal life is. He says that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus who you have sent. So eternal life is not so much a place that we go to, it is also a person. It's knowing him. It's a personal heart-to-heart relationship, the union between God and man. And so to be a church of grace is to know him and to allow him to live and move through you. I think that's a good kind of definition of it. Because God can't move through an unholy vessel. You can't relate, you can't be in union, you can't have a relationship, a righteous standing before God where you can be in the very throne room of God unless you're holy. He can't live in an unholy temple. And so he has done this for us. The whole thing of of salvation wasn't so much to get you into heaven, it was to get heaven into you. It was to get God into you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So that is it. John 1, the law was given, but grace came. Amen? Cool. Let me just pray for you guys, and this is anything else you say. So we thank you, Jesus, so much again for your unmerited grace. That when we got saved, that it was just the most best thing that could ever, ever happen to us. To have relationship with you, a union with you, unbroken fellowship with you. And I just pray, Father, for each of us, we want to be people who uh, release and express your goodness, express your nature and express your glory. But we We don't do that through our own efforts. It happens as we just see you and see your beauty more and more. And so I pray for each one of us and me as just even more that we would just see you, 
for who you are, see you for all that your nature and your will is, that we wouldn't be questioning in certain situations where we find ourselves, where it's a struggle, where we're going, I don't know if God really wants me to be blessed. I just pray for all that kind of thinking to just go where we wouldn't be depressed about situations, but we know that, God, you've got our back, that you love us and that you are for us. And I thank you, Jesus. I just want to pray also that, um, that we would be such ministers of grace, just like this guy that I met yesterday, that as we walk around, that people would feel and experience the nature of God beyond what we're doing, where we walk around, but they would see God around us and in us as we walk, that it wouldn't be about our ministry, but it would be about the heart of God being expressed through us. So I thank you, Jesus, that we are a church of grace and that we would truly be a people that would express that in every area, every area of our life, that the grace of God would just flood and just burst through us, that actually as a church, part of our calling and part of our priority and uh, what we're pioneering in this city is to be a church of grace, a church of his righteousness, not of our own. So thank you, Jesus, so much for that. Just bless everyone here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much.